Hello, this is Valerie from Modern Idealist. If you've enjoyed our podcast so far, do leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. And find us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Modern Idealist Podcast. Hi everyone, my name is Valerie. And I'm Marin. And welcome to the Modern Idealist, a podcast for career-driven professionals looking to make an impact. Welcome to episode 11, where we'll be giving you perspectives on recent news and research around emotional diversity at work, remote work across countries, and the best and worst work-life balance cities. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. So Marin, today we'll be doing an opinion piece where we'll be talking about emotional diversity, future of work in terms of Airbnb's latest news on allowing and designing their policies for their workforce to work remotely around the world and top work-life balance places in the world. There are many good news feeds out there um, and one that I particularly enjoy because it just does like a nice daily rundown. Um, well, as do many others, but this one is LinkedIn Daily Rundown. This episode is not sponsored by them, although we'd definitely be open to that. But, um, you know, they, they do a pretty good job. And I would say it's something that I come across within the first hour when I wake up every morning. And on the other side, you know, you and I, we love to talk about work, uh, business, our ideals, our philosophies and how this fits in all together. And particularly when they all fit in together, we're kind of looking at what overlaps and what's at the intersection of all of this, making up our modern ideals. So, you know, when I'm getting these daily rundowns every day, sometimes there are certain news that evokes something in me. And I think this is the kind of stuff that we're talking about. And this is the kind of stuff that will meet the modern ideals that we're looking for, the dreams that we're looking for, but also reachable around, you know, we've previously talked about the four-day work week. We have um, talked about what work-life balance should look like and could look like, uh, while some may think it's a, a, a dreamy place or, you know, some other work ethics may, may think that we're actually sounding quite... I don't know, cushy about it and, and are slacking. Anyhow, so I do think these specific topics hit right on for us. And I'd really want to get your opinion on this. And it's nonetheless areas that you uh, have expertise in as well, especially around emotional diversity, emotional intelligence. So let's kick off with that first. One of the first articles that came up on that daily rundown was on how feelings make the office go round. And for context, what they write about here is people are trying to put a happy face on at work. Maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. But according to Fast Company, emotions are vital to how we perform and how we commit to organizations. We've heard this time and time again. In fact, research is showing that expressing emotions to teammates increases our ability to problem solve and generate ideas. I've also heard this many times. It's weird that we need research to prove this, but this now shows 50% of people surveyed at Fast Company says that they always or frequently feel the need to cloak their feelings while in the office and that we'd be better off embracing emotional diversity. Tim Lebreth argues that a truly human workplace allows us to actually be sad. I mean, how do you feel about this having emotional diversity in the workplace and, and bringing yourself truly to the workplace? 
Well, it's interesting that this topic has come up recently because I was just in a panel discussion on mental health and how that fits into diversity. And I think traditionally we used to have this approach, especially with our parents' generation, that you would come as one persona and then you would switch off and then you would go home and you would play another persona. Now that we aren't in the industrial era anymore, people are more concerned about mental health, well-being, all these kinds of things, especially in the wake of COVID, that's starting to shift. I mean, the stats are saying 84% of millennials are feeling more burnt out, 70% overall of employees are feeling burnt out in their current job, 91% of people are saying their stress is becoming unmanageable. There's got to be something with not being able to show up and bring your full self to work. I think I talk about this a lot. We, we talk about this a lot, that there is something fundamentally broken with the way that we work. I mm. think that is a bigger discussion that needs to be had. But I remember when I started my MBA, we would talk about the importance of building shareholder wealth. So we talk about organizational values and how organizational values can be linked to the individual. But I think people are seeing through a lot of this bullshit now. Mm. It's not how it used to be. That, you know, I think we've gone from a, you show up to work, you do your thing and then you clock off and go home. Then it's, okay, we've tried to create meaning and anchor people to values and these kinds of things. And then that's changed things around. And now we're like, okay, we want to do more than just live to work, which is really what we're doing with our lives so often. Mm. We want to feel passionate about what we're doing, but we're not going to buy into the corporate bullshit of, okay, these are the values and we all value these qualities and where these happy sturdy employees so yeah, it's yeah. breaking down so what can we do like i mean we could argue that you know the workplace hr or, or policies and managers needs to invite people to bring you know their feelings and themselves truly to work that's one aspect because we keep seeing time and time again that there's research showing it's better for the organization when employees can bring themselves but we also see that um from a from an individual standpoint, it doesn't really help them. It, I think, personally, from my own experience, that you risk you know, being negative. In the Fast Company article here, um, the author writes about the toxic positivity. Mm. And yeah. I think there's a, there's a level of like us having to show up with this false sense of positivity because in the, in the little windows I'm trying to buy that my company... You know, now or in the past whatever just like in general employers who want to harness the most of me as they say I and mean, i should bring myself truly sure you meet people who really feel mean it in that moment but i think too often it actually works against you yeah it's funny that you say that because i think it can go both ways i mean sometimes you bring your full self to work doesn't mean i'm just gonna bring people down with my emotions or these kinds of things we we all need to have boundaries and i think this is where compassionate leadership comes in cognitive empathy versus emotional empathy comes in when we think about cognitive empathy or compassionate leadership it's funny that i've been doing a bit of work on this the brain reacts to emotional empathy with cortisol which creates distress creates a downward spiral when you have cognitive empathy and you're trying to understand empathize with someone but you know find out how you can help them without embodying that feeling that shifts from it being something where you feel a sense of stress and negativity mm. to positive and you have that mm. helper's high mm. so i think we don't talk about this enough in the workplace but that's something that's really important 
also the way we're working, how flexible we are, yeah. how we take care of individuals' needs is yeah. something that should be factored in. Mm. What's your take on like productivity and all of this? Because one thing is to say it might rub off on the other person, but the other is even like maybe it won't rub off on the other person, but they just think that they have liability on their team. They have a member who is who has a lot of baggage, you know, shows up. I think we all have baggage. It's just who's showing it. Mm. Um, and... I can sense that, oh, this, I don't want the team member who's going to have troubles around being, performing maximum, right? You don't want, like, not like you don't want, but traditionally managers haven't really, they just see it as underperformers. Mm, I think there's something to do with front loading the conversation mm. around how we show up at work. Because often when you're just going, 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 doing, doing, you don't have time for those conversations. So it becomes something that's really piecemeal. So I think there's something to do with setting expectations that's really important here. So being able to front load the conversation and take a step back from the doing of business and say, how do we want to interact as a team? What are your expectations of me as a manager? What are the teams? What is the manager's expectations of the team, the teams of each other? So being able to say, we want to provide that space of psychological safety it looks different for every team because every team has different people, hopefully diverse people that have diverse needs. So having the conversation up front is it's just like how we would work on strategy, for example. You can't start getting the work done unless you have a strategy and then an approach for how you're going to deliver it. We don't mm -hmm. think in the same way of mental health and emotional well-being as a strategy, or we haven't really until now. So it's something that has to be implemented into the ways of working. And I think by doing that, it can allow people to be able to say, okay, this person's not particularly, you know, weighing, weighing the team down or letting the team down because we have a modus operandi for how we support one another. Mm. I, I, I mean, I love where we're headed with this. And I, I feel like this is really where things should be, mm. but it's just too far from mainstream practice. And I think uh, for a lot of our listeners who are professionals in the impact space, particularly lack professional development in this type of, in their type of work. And what I mean by that is I think there's just so much focus on work that has impact and that bond that, you know, I've seen uh, teams working in NGOs, nonprofits to impactful businesses. It's so focused on that, that, I think they think it's enough to carry the baggage for everybody and and that it's not vice versa on the other side of where, where in private just pure competitive businesses realize that they need to get ahead and therefore you can either go the traditional route or you can go sort of the more forward leaning route and if you're more on the forward leaning route then you're you're more likely to unlock that in your teams and i think you realize that emotional diversity and the whole emotional being is going to help the company forward if you can unlock that in everybody. I just don't see that very much, especially in these other sectors uh, where there's another type of bond that holds the teams together. Too often, this emotional aspect is being just overlooked. Mm, mm. I think there are so many layers to this question, this conversation. There's so many things that we need to learn whether it's uh, from an impact organization or a corporate organization, because yes, the corporates say, okay, we're going to where the market's heading and we see that this burnout and these stats and whatever else, so we need to do something. So let's bring in some consultants, hence some of the things that I've been doing in the last couple of years, especially. But 
personal responsibility has something to do with it as well. Obviously, you need to have the safe space and it's up to you whether you want to disclose certain things that are emotionally affecting you and how you want to bring that to your team. And a lot of people don't feel safe. So there, there is something on the expectations and the way you set it up as a team with your manager. But then on the other side, it's also what level can you do it yourself? And it's really tricky. You know? Yeah, so- absolutely. There's this bit of um, a chicken and egg here. It's like, does the manager and does the company start with this first or does the individual employee start with this? It's like mm. maybe a bit of both. And um, just, you know, so, you know, our listeners are aware in this Fast Company article, which I'll also put in our description, also highlights the need for growing diction and growing vocabulary mm. around emotional diversity. It's for too long just been happy, surprised, afraid, angry, and sad. Just like these are very basic, simple stuff. But I think even under COVID, you know, the organizational psychologist Adam Grant has highlighted languishing and that's becoming more of a word these days. And when it kind of highlights these nuances between the emotional diversities, then people will be able to actually communicate that as a tool. You know, they'll be able to take these uh, different vocabularies and use it as a tool to express what they really think. Lastly, I really wanted to mention how um, I, I really agreed with what you were saying on, you know, we just need to start having the empathy ourselves first before expecting a team that can accept it because if you can't understand others how can you bring value to the table with it Mm, and understanding what kind of you know that's something that I realized that I was doing I was operating a lot in emotional empathy and I think that's why I've been getting so burnt out as well because I feel things so deeply and then I have to sort of be very pragmatic and okay we're working on a strategy here or we're doing whatever it is. And the type of empathy is really important. Something that I've been working on is being able to differentiate between cognitive empathy and emotional empathy and how to do that. Because when I feel for something, I feel it so profoundly and so deeply. You know, I will, I'm often moved to tears by people's hardships or by, you know, what's going on in the world, whether it's with BLM, whether it's with the climate, etc. There's so many things that I care deeply about and also not just it's not just about caring deeply about it's trying to be poverty yeah exactly and it's trying to be proactive Mm -hmm. about it as well but I need to have a better strategy and when I understood more about compassion and and the difference between uh, emotional empathy and cognitive empathy and compassion Mm -hmm. that's the difference between the helpers high and you know getting sort of going in this downward spiral which doesn't help anyone Mm. And like you said, part of it is having this emotional language or understanding the kind of language that we need to have so that we can say, oh, that makes sense. Now that I know about Mm. this kind of empathy versus that, I can do something more with it. So I think it is up to individuals to equip ourselves with the tools, but sometimes you don't know what you don't know. So if you have someone who's facilitating and bringing in a workshop where you can have these discussions in a really healthy and constructive way, maybe that helps set you on the course. So for people who already have that growth mindset and want to learn and they're coming across this material, Mm. they should be doing the work however they can. But managers as well should be doing it just from a, this is really important. I agree, I agree. And and there's a lot of shoulds there. It's just, I highlight the the urgent need that the the people who need to hear it are the ones who are not hearing this right now. Mm -hmm. And I just don't know how to get that across right now. I mean, too often I feel like this is a bit of an echo chamber. But nonetheless... um, 
we have to go into our second topic. Okay. Because I'm pushing forward. <laughs> and our second article topic today is Airbnb's new and latest design creating policy for employees to live and work anywhere without taking a pay cut starting this fall. Airbnb CEO says that those who don't embrace remote work will be at a disadvantage for the most talented people. And the most talented people these days no longer live in cities like San Francisco or New York anymore. Can I do this clicky thing? Fuck yeah, I love this. And I have been reflecting on this for so long. And, you know, we've been talking about it in the episodes previously <laughs> and all my little analogies for how ridiculous the way that we work is. So I fucking love this. And I love that this is a bold statement and it's something to say, we're aware that the ways of working aren't, aren't what they used to be and it's not working for people. I exactly. love this idea of, you know, maybe I'm getting too far into this kind of future but I love the idea that we can have borderless societies and global currencies and global connectedness because that's right I mean having a fair and equitable yeah uh talent pool you know, they might live in the Philippines but they should have the same kind of opportunities as someone in Norway for example and I think it's going to create a more fair and equitable distribution of labor and skills and people being able to do so much more yeah, exactly. as a result of this. I don't know how that works on a salary level, all those kinds of things, but I am super enthusiastic about it. I know. You know, sometimes I think like some of these most forward-leaning workplaces is in the private sector. We've talked about this before. Like, and part of this is the modern idealist that lives in you and I. We've talked about, we do projects that we mean to be commercial and they are commercial projects as well as nonprofit impact projects. But when I read stuff like this, I'm thinking, man, the private sector, especially tech, I mean, they're really competitive in understanding the employee today. Absolutely. Compared to a lot of these others. And we talked about that with, say, with the Nordic countries, for, for example, when it comes to equal parental leave. That's something that the government has instated. So it's driven by government and the people benefit from that and the workplaces have to follow. What's happening now, especially as I see in Australia, talking to my friends there, is they're saying, okay, if we want to get the top talent, we need to start doing this. So the, even though the Nordics have been leaders in this front for a long time on work-life balance and parental leave and lots of different social undergirdings, in the rest of the world that hasn't happened. But now I think with all people using their voices, voting with their feet, like we were saying when we saw that gen, when we read about the Gen Z, Gen Y article of what people are expecting, they're listening and they have to do something about it. You know what? We're not in the industrial economy anymore. We are in the knowledge economy and things work differently and they should. So we've just been, I remember hearing this story about this woman who she would bake this special bread that her great, great grandmother showed her. And part of this process of making the bread was that they cut both sides, like two sides of the loaf off. So they had these big pieces of dough that they rem they had in the recipe and then they just removed it. And then the next generation would do it in the next one. And then someone asked, okay, why would we keep on cutting these pieces of dough off and doing nothing with them, but they're in the recipe. And the whole thing was, it was because the oven was too small. So they had this recipe and the oven was too small. So that's why they cut it off. And I often think of that in the back of my head of like, what are we doing that is so, was for a different time and made so much sense for that time that we shouldn't be doing now because it's just not relevant. And I think so many work practices are like that analogy 
I even think for frontline workers and people that are client facing, I think that there should be different strategies as well for them, whether you're working in a supermarket or you're working in the healthcare industry, it needs to change. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but we're not doing right, as we can see by the healthcare workers, of service workers, frontline workers, something needs to, something needs to give. 100%. And for Airbnb, I think there's um, a double intention here. One, they are competing for you know the best talent out there. I don't doubt that at all. But I also recognize that this is probably a strategic play for themselves because to kind of get this ball going for more companies to allow you know, remote work around the world, I mean, it's going to open up a lot more opportunities for them as well. 100%. So I think it's very smart of them to think it's a competitive play. Mm. And I think nonprofits, NGOs, for impact, for-profit companies need to also start to think about more strategic plays like this. Mm. So just to add some specifics, the staff can move anywhere in the country they want to work in without any change of their compensation. And they're able to live and work in more than 170 countries for up to 90 days into for up to 90 days a year in each location. So I think what that means is, say if you want to go to, we talked a lot about Bali. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we want to go to Bali, we can hang there for 90 days and then we mm-hmm. can go hop over to like Japan and do 90 days there. And um, So I, yeah, it just sounds really cool. I love another, it. Exactly. And another really strategic play that they did, and I like how their CEO, Brian Chesky, said here about how he wanted to open this up for something bigger. They'll still need to figure out a permanent address for payroll and tax purposes while working abroad, adding that the company was building an open source technology solution to manage sort of Mm. the mountain of complexities for digital nomads. So I think the really interesting thing here is not that I love Elon Musk. (laughs) Tesla is pretty cool, but there's a lot of controversies out there. And the thing is, it's a bit of that model when he released the patent for the batteries. It's it's a grow the market it's a let's grow Mm. the remote work market and i like that it's not singular to themselves and they really want to see this through and i think it will create a lot less excuses for other small companies to want to do want to hold back on these kind of progressions yeah well i think they'll be forced into the change but what i'm going to ask you this because i get asked this a lot from my clients they say oh we really need to have people in the workplace we really need okay at least two or three days a week some are saying okay we have to go back to the office that's it what's your take on that and how do you manage that allowing people to work from anywhere and then these managers who are saying no you've got to be in the office you know my my take is of course like I am the modern idealist you know that so um, of course I I recognize that I'm going to push for what I think is right we are holistic human beings that have so many identities to ourselves you want to be in australia to see your family you want to be in norway to see where your established network is right now you want to go back to italy and connect with your family you know distant relatives it's just we need to be more holistic and i think being globalized citizens will only help you know the world progress in a good way in a more empathetic way so i'm all for that Uh, i think what will be interesting is another time we need to bring on an executive who has troubles with this Mm. um, because i certainly live with one and it's not that there's any disagreement i think the challenges are real i think the the 
A really bad metric though is counting days. The metric to count days is a pretty bad way for a policy and what to reach for because it's it's just... 100%. Yeah, it, rather it should be around productivity and your kind of work. I do think there are... I love face-to-face and you do too, so I think mm-hmm. so. There, We understand the value in that and I know there are challenges to overcome. Mm. Anyways, so I need to move on to the last topic, which are on the top cities that have been named best and worst for work-life balance. Give me the top ones. All right, so we happen to live in number one. Oh, and I mean, that's not a horrible thing. That definitely makes sense. Yeah, so because the we've got Oslo, Norway is, is like... one, uh, Bern, Switzerland is two, Helsinki, Finland is three, followed by Zurich, Switzerland, and then Copenhagen, Denmark. So a lot of Nordic influence going on here. I think there's something about the Nordic values, yes, definitely at play here. But I think there's something about being in the EU as well. So that flexibility. So you have the means to be able to do it because the values are there. And then you can just kind of go through borderlessly around with an EU passport to be able to live and work anywhere, which, or not live and work, but you you can move freely about, which a lot of people from other countries can't do. You know, if you're in Australia, you can be in the Schengen area for 90 days. I don't know if, what it's like in the US. You know, I often think about setting new democracies because these arrangements that we have right now aren't fostering a global workforce where we can move around freely because we have all these visa issues. You and I know that. Which Airbnb is not open source, so it helps off. Yeah, so, so hopefully being able to have these kind of a more borderless society, which is extremely political, extremely contentious. Yeah. But we need to move in that direction and all governments need to have policies. I know Portugal has been very proactive about having remote workers and digital nomads and creating policies for them. Yeah. So I think that either collectively governments have to come together, doubtful in many cases that that will happen. Mm. So at least individual countries need to have a policy around how they bring digital nomads into their countries. Mm, that's so true. I wonder how the different countries are seeing it today. I mean, is it an opportunity for them or is it cost and liability for them? Because, I mean, they want tourism always. So mm. isn't this good tourism? But I guess they would be nervous that people would go from digital nomads to naturalized citizens if it's a nationalistic country. I'm not sure. I'm trying to sort of mm, think both what, sides what here. The, yeah, I think starting off having that okay, we're going to do a 90 days thing. If every country has some kind of initiative like that, that we do a 90 days digital nomad or working remote, and there's a policy that's going to be slightly nuanced depending on the country, that's a great start. Mm. Maybe they need to think more about if people want to move there or naturalize, et cetera, like you said. Mm. But I would be interested in seeing the stats maybe in the next year of how many people just want to live in different places. I think millennials, Gen Zers, uh, definitely are people that want to have more fluid yeah. uh, lifestyles. We want to have a base somewhere. And, you know, for you and I right now, Norway is our base. But we want to be able to, like you said, go back home, see family, have different experiences. You know, we're off to Spain for a modern idealist retreat next week. Super exciting. <laughs> Being able to do things like that should be a part of, like, why hasn't it been done anyway? It should have been. So yeah. it's great that it is now. Yeah, that's true. And if we flip to the bottom... The bottom few includes cities Hong Kong, Montevideo, Buenos Aires, Bangkok, Kuala Lumpur, Cape Town, Dubai mm. even. Can yeah, you speak I, to Hong Kong a bit? Yeah, that's, that is quite interesting. Hong Kong, I have an idea and it actually, as a culture, I mean, or the work ethics 
is just it's always been highlighted to be that way i mean the world has changed there recently a friend's dad told me oh you know your parents really remind me of like old school old time hong kongers because they were the ones who immigrated to the u.s right so they kept work ethics from the 80s and 70s and that way of working it's just like it's all about putting food on the table it's about the hustle it's about the, the culture around respecting your elders if you're a junior you just have to kind of pay your time that makes a lot of sense people feel like they can call you at all hours you know i mean when it's so competitive i mean there's another aspect to it the landscape there is really competitive mm, there's way yes. too much talent i mean there's just the supply and demand doesn't match and you know, if you want to, it's really hard for young people to own an apartment because it's nearly impossible to buy it. And the junior jobs are really low paying. So it's just very difficult for a lot of young people in Hong Kong these days. Um, and I mean, you probably have different levels from middle managers and upwards to executives. But all of that's around the old work ethics. And I think that's just being passed down. And because there's so little emphasis on building for better tomorrow, whatever that means for them, mm. it, it's just financial. It's it's just very, it's a financial hub. It's a hustle bustle city. And that's that's at least my impression. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's probably so many different nuances there. So there's the cultural context. It's probably... Um, the, like you said, the the large pool of talent, so you're competing. So it's a workers, uh, it's sorry, it's an employers market, which mm. means that the employees have to do whatever the employers want. Yeah, exactly. There's so many layers, yeah. which I imagine is similar to the other countries as well. I would say there's probably also things around visas, being able to leave the country, mm. or how freely you can move around. I know I have a South African friend who has struggled immensely with just being able to go to other countries because her visa she's yeah. always being challenged by her south african passport and whether she can get into a country another country or not exactly and i think for a lot of people who i know want to work in hong kong they have said that in order for them to go there they would want to be on an expat contract uh-huh. because it's fun you get the city and it's amazing it's on fire but at the same time maybe you can adhere to something that has a more forward-leaning work-life balance Anyways, bringing it back to the the top of the list, you know, I think this whole Nordic culture thing, it's really cool to see Oslo, Copenhagen, and even Stockholm is pretty close to the top and other cities in the Nordics. I just hope that in understanding what the metrics are that made them sort of the best, it's inclusive enough for people who aren't after the same things in work-life balance because it expects you to want the same thing. We talk Mm -hmm. about this a lot. We're not the eight to four you know, people in Norway. And what if you don't want to, it's set up for young families, it's set up for, it, it, which is really great. But what if you want to hustle a little bit? What if you want, you have ambitions to do something, you know, and then it needs to work for that. And that's why I think countries like, for example, just because I know the market so well in Australia is why I would love to see the Nordic model of this way of working being in the Australian market, because if you want to hustle, you get rewarded. If you want to do things, there there is also more diversity and multiculturalism. I think some of the reason things work in the Nordics is we've talked about it before, that monoculture. You all have to buy into the very same ideals and do the same thing. It's a bit protectionist. You know, if you went to BI business school, that's better than if you went to Harvard. You know, there's still people that are telling me this stuff and I'm like, holy shit. This is kind of crazy that if you have an internationally renowned degree, maybe it doesn't necessarily put you 
ahead of the pack yeah. in the job market as if you studied in Norway. So there's goods and bads or trade-offs, all that kind of stuff. So I really hope the same as you that we can have a more inclusive view with how we do it in the Nordics, yeah. but also that people can take that Nordic model with ha- that have more international global attitudes and multiculturalism, more diversity, and that by using a Nordic model that could really superpower this whole change of work-life balance, work-life flow, moving around. 100%. So this brings us to an end on our three topics today. And what did you think about this? Yeah, I really liked this. It was just like peppy. We had a lot of opinions here. I'm thinking, reflecting on how this fits into my work life as well, personally. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been saying that last year I worked nine months a year. I took a lot of holidays around that. I hustled like a mofo as well to be able to do it. But just even talking about it, it's shaping my thinking, even though I think I'm trying to make an effort to think differently. I'm really excited about what's happening. I'm excited on the bringing your whole self to work. I'm excited on having, being able to have more agency over our lives in the way that we do things and that it doesn't have to be this eight to four, nine to five kind of bullshit. 100%. That is what it is. We want more agency over our lives and we want to harness the most of each other. So let's bring out that emotional diversity. Let's create that future work with remote work and having work-life balance. So that's what we have for today. Thanks for tuning in. And if you want to learn more about emotional diversity and mental health, I do encourage you to check out the video of Marin's latest panel discussion on mental health as a key topic in diversity and inclusion strategies. And as always, if you've enjoyed this episode or if it evoked interesting thoughts, do share the episode with a friend. We want to stay thoughtful for you, for ourselves, so we need your help to share this podcast with other like-minded people. Let's have these conversations that matter together.